and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. It's fun to be back in the studio, but man, have we had a great week with Neil Kinsey, as you heard yesterday on the show. Had a lot of fun talking about soil tests. And of course, if you've got soil test questions for us or any agronomic question, we're always open to helping you with those. Our radio mailbag is easily found radio at agphd.com if you've got a question or you can give us a call today at 844-44-AG-PHD. So yeah, whenever Neil's around, we know we're going to talk about nutrients and we know we're going to hear a lot of stories and situations that have happened and that he's been a part of over many years as a crop consultant and helping farmers around the world with their fertility programs. One of the things that, that I found, I've found a lot of things interesting here and, and um, picked up a lot of pieces of knowledge. I don't know how many pages of notes I took listening to Neil this week, but I know when we look at calcium, uh, either Neil or Dick Goff are the two guys that I would turn to really anywhere for advice on where do I need to be at for calcium. And both will tell you calcium is so critical to helping other nutrients get in your crop. But I I also would say this, both of those guys, Neil Kinsey and Dick Goff, would tell you, hey, you've got to be in the right range. You've got to be in balance. And whenever we mention balance, I I know as I talk to farmers locally or I talk to farmers in other parts of the world, many of them will kind of grumble a little bit when they hear the word balance. Well, what is the right balance? Nobody can ever tell us. People talk about this balance thing and it must be just some made up concept because nobody gives us the exact ratios or or levels we need to be at. Well, we just spent three days with Neil Kinsey and I'll tell you this, he's going to give you the right ratios and and the right balance levels to be at. And uh, I know I can speak for Dick Goff as well, who worked many, many years with Midwest Labs. Much of the same thing uh, you're going to hear about, hey, here's where you need to be. This is too much. This is too little. And here's where ideal is at. And when it comes to calcium, one of the things that we're looking at is what percentage on the base saturation test do you want to be at? And that's one that I know on our farm we've been really working towards. So Neil would talk a lot about 68% calcium. He likes 68% calcium, 12% magnesium in many soils. But that's not the only spot that he wants to be at. There is a little bit of a range. So I know we had many farmers over the last week here that have showed soil tests with 85 or 90% calcium, and they're really struggling with some different challenges in soil. And so we learned some strategies to try to work some of those calcium levels down in a cost-efficient way so we can start getting higher production on those fields and, and having healthier plants and healthier soils. So that was kind of fun. And, and the nutrient we talk a lot about in conjunction with calcium is magnesium. And this is one for our farm. I, I would say we typically have pretty good calcium levels on our farm, but where we struggle is magnesium. And magnesium has been really high. The type of clay that we have on our farm, Montmorillonite clay, is pretty high in magnesium naturally. And so we're always working on how do we get a 20 or 25 or 30% magnesium soil back in line. All right, uh, let's hit the phone lines here. We've got Tony on with us over in Minnesota. Tony, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Darren? Good, good. So I'm just complaining about uh, the balance issues I've got on my soils. How about you? What What's on your mind today? Well, obviously balance issues. So that was actually some of my questions. I got a whole bunch of them for you today if you got the time. Okay. Um, looking at Mulder's chart, 
is that always correct, or can there be a little variation in that, especially like calcium and boron, potassium and boron? I'm just kind of wondering. I'm starting to see some things. You know, that is interesting. When you look at Mulder's chart, over the years, we've kind of felt some things were maybe not included there as well. I don't think there's an end-all, be-all. And talking with Neil about it the last few days, it, it really appears there's some different soils out there where things could work not exactly the same comparing a high pH soil versus a low pH soil or a very heavy muck type soil versus a sandy soil. So I don't think it's absolutely, oh yeah, this is the only thing that could happen in the soil. And I also do think sometimes there's complicating factors where, hey, I have lots of potassium. It should be helping me with my manganese, but in some cases it's not always doing that because some other nutrient thing may be working against us. So what specifically are you looking at with Mulder's chart that you think might be a little bit different? The calcium boron relationship okay. might be one. I'm not sure about that, to tell you the truth. Just wondering your opinion on that. Well, we did talk about that with Neil, and his feeling is that it takes boron to get calcium into the plant. And you certainly need boron all throughout the season. The challenge is in different soils, boron is going to be highly leachable. So we talk about to farmers with sandy soils and they have to spoon feed boron all through the season to keep it there. In some of our heavy soils that are frozen half the year, we've been putting on large amounts of boron early in the season in a high calcium soil which really adds to the safety factor. If you're going to apply large rates of boron, you have to have good levels of calcium. And we've had and pretty good luck with that. And if your calcium is below 60%, how would you handle boron in that situation? Then you got to be tricky or you got to be uh, really careful about it because it has more potential to cause injury. So I would not get carried away with really high rates. So we hear a lot of times recommendations from fertilizer dealers of maybe a quart of boron, maybe a quart of a 10% boron is about it in any one application. We found rates of a gallon or more to be safe as long as soil calcium levels are at least 60% base saturation calcium or 65. Gotcha. How about you ever seen a relationship between a boron application and your potassium levels? No. Nope, I haven't. What have you seen? Okay. I'm kind of wondering if the potassium climbs a little in the plant when you add boron. Interesting. Now, for for potassium to get in, it needs some calcium to help it along the way. And if you have more boron, that's certainly going to help your calcium getting into the plant. And if calcium's getting in, it's going to pull some potassium in too. So it may be kind of a chain reaction there, especially if you're in high pH soils where with limited calcium availability, that might be a a potential factor there. Tony, we'll get to some more of your questions here right after this, so hang with us. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Stay tuned. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Your land is a legacy, a challenge from those who tended it before you to build on their foundations. 
At Corteva AgriScience, we understand what it means to be the stewards of a legacy. We embrace the challenge of building on the foundation of Dow AgroSciences to maintain your trust, to bring new solutions, to help you care for your land. See how we can help build your legacy at rangeandpasture.com. Your grain bin fans can cost you a lot. High electric bills from running when conditions are not ideal, shrinkage from overdried grain, and spoiled grain all take money out of your pocket. With the STEPS GMS app temperature humidity switch, get your bin fans to start making you money. Only run vans when the conditions are right. Eliminate shrink and spoilage in your bins. Deliver grain in top condition at market moisture. When every dollar counts, you need STEPS GMS. Contact us today at stepsgms.com. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Taking a lot of questions via email, radio at agphd.com, and I've got Tony from Minnesota on the phone right now with some more questions for us, too. Okay, Tony, what uh, what's next? Hey, another one for you. There's a product I'm looking at that uh, fixes uh, nitrogen for corn called N-Hydro. Okay. And thinking about spraying that foliarly with a product called Boost 10, which is a blend of amino acids. Okay. Well, is there any fungicide issues I should be concerned? I really want to try Velt- or, yeah, Veltima from BASF as well. Okay. You know, the, the question would just be the timing and all those things when you're going to do it. Yeah. We're starting to see a lot of products on the market today that are being billed as uh, products to bring more nitrogen into the plant. I guess the, the questions to ask on some of those things are, are what strains are, are in those products. If it's fungus, then I would ask a lot of questions about, okay, which fungicides do you know we're compatible with and which ones are we not? If it's bacteria, then, of course, we aren't as worried about fungicides hurting anything. But with any of those microbial products, we want to make sure that we're being really conscious of what the water quality we're treating with it would be. On the label, many of those products will call for distilled water. Well, nobody's using distilled water in their spray tank. They're using, you know, something. Maybe it's a municipal source or rural water or coming right out of a well. So it's just important to test those water sources to see what do you have in there? What's the pH? What is the content of things like copper that are known to be harmful to microbes? And you may have to treat the water with something like water right or, or uh, especially BioPrep is a product that we use to take chlorine out of our rural water that we're using. So those would be the questions I'd have is just what, what are the strains that are in the product? Some of them are a one-strain product, and the, the company representative may know real well. Others may be something brand new, and there's a lot of small companies out there that may not have done the testing where, where you may – be a little more cautious about using them on large acres. So, yeah, I like that. I, How about I, amino 
How about the amino acids? Any concerns on mixing with anything on those? No. The Boost 10? No, we've okay. used Boost 10 actually on our farm too, and we haven't had any issues at all. It's mixed really well. Okay. Yep. No, I like that hey, one. one. That's last. been good. Okay. Hey, one last question. I've asked a lot of people and haven't gotten any great answers yet, but uh, more on a minimum till, strip till, conventional till. What kind of closing wheels do you like on a John Deere planter? <laughs> I don't know, Tony. That that green paint as you pull that through the field, something about it. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. No, there's there's uh, you, you can make any planter work. It's just being fussy with it. I'm not an equipment expert to to tell you a lot of difference between them. But what was interesting, I, I was talking to a farmer here just a couple of weeks ago who said he has four different sets of wheels on the back. And just depending on yeah. what conditions he's in, he's switching them out. And that's not a two-minute job. It does take a little bit of time. And especially if you're out in the field, oftentimes you may have sandier spots and heavy clay spots in the same field. Well, how do you get exactly the right thing for that? I'm I'm not the expert on that one, Tony. All righty. So I thank you for your time. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate the questions. Uh we also got a lot of questions about what's happening in the grain markets. We got Scott Harms with us right now with Grain PhD. Scott, thanks for joining us. Good afternoon, Darren. All right, it's been a couple of weeks since we talked, and unfortunately, we don't really have any big positive news that's happening in the grain markets. A lot of focus has been on the coronavirus, and it certainly hammered the stock market. What do you expect for the grain market here coming up? Yeah, it's been um, a tough couple of weeks, especially on, like you say, on the equity side of it. Uh, I think the stock market slipped some 16 to 18 percent. Um, and, you know, markets are about emotion, and that's what we're going through right now, at least on the equity side. And we're seeing it spill over into the energies and um, and then also into the grains a little bit where people are just pulling money off the table and they're protecting themselves. And their first reaction is to sell it. Um, you know, we're getting uh, – we need to get – some kind of uh, positive news or at least work through this uh, coronavirus issue. It's going to continue to be something that's going to overhang the market and keep us uh, likely from seeing any real uh, sizable strength. But we are building, um, you know, a base and we're seeing some positive action. We saw a couple of, we saw a couple sales announcements today, uh, one to an unknown destination on the corn side, one to Japan. Uh, so perhaps uh, China is getting close to, to making some moves uh, on the export front. And one uh, important feature that we're seeing is the U.S. dollar. We talked about this many times, how the U.S. dollar is really going to be a key for these markets going forward and improving our export uh, business. And we, we've we seen the uh, U.S. dollar slip to the lowest levels it's been since early 2019. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't translate right away to business, but that is, you know, that's an evolving situation. And, um, you know, there's some little, there's some real logistical problems when you talk about the coronavirus uh, that could be hampering the demand side, especially from China. I don't know that it necessarily changes the quantities that they're ultimately going to buy because they have an agreement to do that. Uh, I don't believe there's a fear of ripping up the agreement or them trying to get out of the agreement based on this issue because their people will still need to eat once things are satisfied. But it does delay the timeline because of the potential logistical concerns. So it's um, it's it's out there and it's in front of the market every day uh, now. And it's the headline uh, every morning when we come in. Uh, we need to make it more of 
um, a back burner issue. I don't know. I don't have a feel whether it's going to get worse before it gets better. It probably will. Um, you know, I know that you know our office is taking precautions, and I think that's next. The next shoe to drop on the coronavirus situation is where some major events begin. We've seen some cancellations of um, certain conventions and you know, here in Chicago as well as other places. And when those things start to happen, that that raises conditional concerns. If we start to see major, you know, sporting events or other things start to get canceled. Um, you know, that's going to continue to weigh on things. We need to get past that. I don't know when that timeline is, but the constructive side of it is the fact that prices are getting cheaper and they're getting cheaper on a currency basis. And so when we do get this behind us, I think there'll be some aggressive buying and we certainly need to to see that in order to drive prices higher. You know, it, it does make it tricky, though, for farmers as a few farmers in certain parts of the country are starting to get their crops in the ground. A lot of questions about what should we do with marketing in the face of of this whole, I don't know what to call it, pandemic, scare, coronavirus thing. It, it makes people nervous and, and they're really curious, what do we do? How do we respond to that with our marketing? Yeah, I mean, the, the problem is, you know, we talked about this a lot. You know, we're running. You need to market based on time. You need to market based on price. So you might write a marketing plan, and you you have a function of price in there. But we're now we're moving down the calendar, and that's unfortunate um, because we're getting closer to not only South American production coming online, but our own production. And uh, you know, that could be either price friendly or price negative, depending on how things go. But we know what we are capable of producing in the U.S. And so uh, the lean in the marketplace or lean in the attitude is going to be that it's a negative price negative feature um, unless weather turns adverse. So since we're moving down the calendar, people need to be lowering their expectations. And uh, it would have been nice to see, you know, spot corn prices uh, trade up, you know, $4 or higher. Um, and so people can move uh, grain. But um in you know in 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 uh, corn and maybe you know nine fifty ten dollars in beans, but that that doesn't appear that that's going to happen unless something dramatically changes. Uh, so we need to set our objectives a little bit lower, especially on old crop. Um, you know the way the spreads have changed traded. Uh, you know we're, they're not really paying you to store corn, uh, so there have been some ideas that you know people go ahead and move uh, cash corn, look to reown it down the road. Uh, but you know, instead of waiting for that twenty to thirty cent rally in corn and that fifty to seventy five cent rally in beans, uh, I think people need to be a little more hair triggered now um, as we move into the month of March here and, and pull that trigger on you know fifteen twenty cents and uh, you know twenty five thirty cents in beans and just let it go. Focus on marketing opportunities for the two thousand twenty crop and and hope and expect that uh, they'll present themselves. Yeah, I'm always optimistic, Scott, but sometimes you have to be a little realistic to really appreciate right. the information today. Talking to Scott Harms again with Green PhD. Thanks, Scott. Have a great day. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back after this. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. 
Vellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. The Grain Depth Guard from Farm Shop MFG has helped farmers keep their bushels safe from spoilage and shrinkage loss in bins all across the country. And this low-cost solution just became even more affordable. Farm Shop MFG is offering a $100 factory rebate on all Grain Temp Guard bin monitoring systems. This offer is available for a limited time only, so take advantage of this program now to upgrade your bins and protect your crop investments. For more information, visit farmshopmfg.com. We know balanced crop nutrition pays. AgriLiquid has the research, technology, and products you need to grow a great crop. Plus the expertise to give you a recommendation based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. AgriLiquid has the phosphorus, potassium, and micronutrient products necessary to deliver the best results from a solid fertility program. Visit agroliquid.com to find a dealer near you. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic pesticides from Atticus LLC. Atticus offers a vast portfolio of branded generic fungicides, herbicides, and insecticides for row crops. Atticus puts grassroots experience and common sense logic to work to make product selection easier and on your terms. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky Herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We've got a lot of questions that have come into the Ag PhD mailbag. We're going to get to those here in just a little bit. If you've got a question for us or want us to look at a soil test, you can just email us, radio at agphd.com. Got Tom with us right now from the state of Oregon, but Tom is still traveling back after the Neil Kinsey workshop that we had this week. Tom, thanks for joining us. Howdy. All right, so what did you think, uh, Neil Kinsey? Well, what did you pick up for your farm out of the last few days? Oh, that would be the third time I've seen Neil Kinsey speak, and every every time I hear him speak, I always pick up on multiple things. And once in a while, 
you might hear something, but it might take a growing season to actually see it with your own eyes. And, and Neil says a few times you need to study nature, not books. So it's a good base foundation. Yeah, you know, and, and the study it. of nature is just free. It just takes a little bit of time and a little bit of attention. There's so many things that he talked about of, hey, if you see this issue on your ear of corn, if you see this issue on your alfalfa leaves or on your potatoes or on your cotton, this is what's going on. And it was that was pretty interesting to me because, honestly, some of those pictures you put up on the screen, Tom, looked kind of similar to some of our crop in parts of our fields. And that wasn't a good thing because it was about something that wasn't quite right. Yeah, but it's great that we can all come together and, and share photos. And, and even as farmers, we can get together and, and work on that. And if we're all seeing the same thing, at least we have some validation and we can take steps to move forward. And sometimes it works for one guy might work for another guy, but the fact that we're just communicating and sharing information is what's going to get us ahead. You know, one thing, Tom, is is, uh, gotten to chat with you over the years, too, is just I have so many young people who want to get into agriculture and want to get started, but they they aren't blessed with, oh, I've got five generations here that own a bunch of ground and are really excited to have a new young guy coming on. it, it gets scary in those situations and, and I don't want people to be discouraged. I want them to have some hope because you haven't exactly had a whole bunch of acres dropped in your lap where, Oh man, this can be easy for you, Tom. You've really had to work for what you've gotten. Uh, that's correct. I, uh, I started when I was 13 and I, uh, I bought a $1,500 tractor and that's when I started and through ups and downs and sometimes you had to take a break and step sideways and do some other things and get back in it. And, and then I had the opportunity to, uh, to work with my father-in-law for a few years. And then, uh, we went different ways and continue to farm, but no, being first generation or, or even working with somebody, it's not, it's not the easiest way to get into it, but if you absolutely love it, that's what you're going to get out of it. That passion and and drive to keep going on it is is really important. And, you know, coming out of this week, too, just seeing Neil Kinsey in his 70s and how much passion he still has for helping farmers and trying to solve some of these fertility challenges, that was really great. It's it's pretty infectious for me. Yeah, I, I completely, completely agree with that. And every every season that goes by, it just it just intensifies the passion that I have for farming. And every... Every year, you can always learn. All you got to do is keep your eyes open, keep your ears open, and just pay attention. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, Tom, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. I know, uh, I know you drove quite a ways to get to the to the workshop this year. Really appreciate having you, and uh, good to chat with you a little bit. If you got things that pop up this summer that make you think back to what Neil was talking about, and say, "Hey, I I see this at." At, on my crop, what can I do, or or what did he say about that? Make sure you let us know, or send us a picture, or give us a call, because I'm I'm curious for our farm too. I think some of those things are going to click when I get out in my fields, and I bet they will for you too. Very well, thank you, sir. You bet. Thanks, Tom. Uh, I've got Greg with us right now from Montana, and I know Greg had asked a question during the the radio show yesterday too. Greg, thanks for calling in. Thank you, guys. I I. Uh, I my grandson and I, we got home about 2 this morning from your workshop, and, and you guys are such an asset uh, to agriculture. Uh, I just uh, I really appreciate everything that you you and Brian and your organization are doing. You guys, you guys I wish you guys were in Washington. But, uh, 
Anyway, uh, I've got a question for you. Okay. Aaron, on, uh, you guys were talking about you were going to start seeding today, or uh, spraying. And uh, my grandson and I were talking about that. Uh, now, are you going down like with the uh, uh, floor, uh, like Treflon or Sonaland? And, and what are you using instead of water when the weather's cold? Great questions, Greg. And yeah, I know when Brian started talking about that yesterday, yep, we'll be out in the field tomorrow. He's right. We have been out in the field today. And what was interesting too, as the guys were driving through, what we look for a lot of times for, for those of you listening to the show today, if you're in a warmer climate than, than we are in South Dakota, you're probably wondering what we're talking about here. But this time of year in March, a lot of days we'll get a 20 degree morning. And this morning, I think it was 19 degrees when I got up and it's supposed to get to 50 degrees for a high today. Well, you need warm temperatures for things to really bind to our soil particles. And so we can get out there in the morning when the ground is firm, drive through the field without sinking in, spray the product out. And then by afternoon, it's it's all attaching to, to soil colloids and, and everything works great. We're often using liquid 28% with many of our applications because it doesn't freeze like water does. But obviously, if we're out there above freezing, we can use water, no problem. But yeah. if we're out below that, we want to be careful. Some people that I've talked to said, well, why don't you just use hot water? I don't know how long water stays hot when, when you're out and it's 19 degrees. I know how hot my coffee would stay. It, it wouldn't stay very warm very long. But you know, when you're thinking about it, we're putting on products that don't need incorporation. So, Greg, you had mentioned Right. Treflan or trifluralin and sonalin, those ones do. So we're usually waiting with those until April in most cases or maybe okay. late March in our part of the world. But if we put out something like, I think we're going to put out some harness or something like that on corn, no problem. That's going to stick around. It's not going anywhere. It's so cold that it's not getting used up or broken down just yet. Oh, okay. Oh, hey, and speak of yeah. speak of breakdown, Greg. So we got started here March sixth in our fields. We had our first breakdown today. We had trouble with our fertilizer spreader. <laughs> so the guys are already back in the shop fixing things. I'm like, that's just the way it goes on the farm sometimes. That's, yeah, yeah, you gotta get the bugs out of her. So, no, anyway, uh, thank you, thank you guys so much. I, I uh, even if 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 by chance somebody didn't learn anything, you guys fed us just awesome. Uh, <laughs> well, the food's always good, Greg. That's a great thing about being in agriculture. We're gonna we're gonna eat pretty well. Hey, but I was kind of curious. You said you had your grandson along with you, and we get talking to a lot of farmers around the country that talk about how do we bring this next generation in and how do we get them going. I'm assuming if he came to a three day Neil Kinsey seminar, he's got a passion for farming. Uh, well, he does. My son, I had uh, I had all three of us, all three of us to go, and uh, we had a bull sale that was coming up, and. So my son decided to go to the bull sale to my grandson. and Yeah, no, uh, uh, all three of us uh, are farming here in Montana, and uh, they finished college. And, and uh, Tanner, he's been home, uh, I think this is his third year now. So, uh, yeah, no, it's fun fun having him, having him here. And he just, uh, he said he, on our way back home last night, he said, I wish I'd have paid more attention in chemistry. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, uh, he, he didn't realize there was all this uh, uh, minerals and nutrients, the periodic table, uh, you know, how that relates to our minerals and our food and, and soils. Uh, uh, it's, it, it, I just 
really appreciate it. I've, I've, this is the second time I've been to to Neil's workshop. I went to one in Great Falls about five years ago, and and if I could just pick up ten percent uh, every time, uh, and I might get it by the time I pass away here. But, uh, <laughs> well, the good anyway, thing is you got these other guys it. coming up behind you, and right. you know when you think about livestock yeah. too, I, I like that Neil also made a lot of comments about yeah. hey, if we get healthy crops, healthy grass yeah. growing out there, we have healthy livestock with a better rate of gain too. Yeah. Well, Greg, thank yeah. you so much. Really appreciate having you come. You. Uh, really appreciate talking to you again today. Thank you, Darren. Appreciate you guys. You bet. Thanks. Yeah, we had a lot of fun with Neil Kinsey in town the last few days. And I know if you haven't heard Neil speak before or you haven't caught him on the show here, he's got a great book called Hands-On Agronomy that you can find online as well. I would highly recommend that for your farming operation. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. What do you think of when you hear Palmer, Amaranth, or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like Water Hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. You know a healthy crop is required for your best results. Simply put, balanced crop nutrition pays. AgriLiquid Fertilizers have the research, technology, and products to deliver those results. We also have an outstanding team of field agronomists ready to help you with your fertility decisions. AgriLiquid can help you maximize your yield potential effectively and economically. Visit agriliquid.com to find a dealer near you. Bean growers continue to see yield loss from white mold across the Midwest this season. To maximize next year's crop, a white mold prevention strategy that includes Contans WG Soil Fungicide is a must for your farming operation. Applying Contans this fall to reduce the sclerotia in the soil is the most effective way to stop white mold at its source. Start a Contans white mold control strategy this fall or pay for it later in lost yield. Worried about glyphosate-resistant weeds and grasses in your corn? Unleash the power of new Impact-Z herbicide and get the early post-application advantage you've been waiting for. Save $3 per acre when you combine Impact-Z with a qualifying insecticide purchase. Go to buy2save3.com for details. Buy2save3 is a service mark and Impact-Z is a trademark owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact-Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough-to-control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field-proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. 
Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio today. And it's time now for the Ag PhD Mailbag. I've got a number of mailbag questions that came in over the last few days uh, while we are doing the Neil Kinsey Seminar, so we'll try to get to some of those right now. It's the mailbag! All right, the first one is some soil test data here, and this is not regarding Neil's seminar. This is just a, a regular soil test that we get on a daily basis. And by the way, if you've got soil tests and you'd like another opinion on them or you have a question on them or... I just wonder, whoa, I wonder what Brian and Darren would do, wonder where they would focus their investments on that particular field. You can certainly email them to us, radio at agphd.com. Uh, first one here comes from Sean, and Sean said, I'm an avid daily listener here in southwest Ontario, Canada, and I want to say thank you for, for all that you're doing. Hey, really appreciate that, Sean. Thanks for, for listening on a daily basis. And Sean said, all right, here's some background. We've got a field that we own that we've been struggling with. It's predominantly calcium-dominant soils on these tests, as you'll see soon. We've got some tile in the ground. It's older clay tile, but still working, so our drainage is adequate. And, uh, yeah, just looking at the tests right off the bat, I would say doesn't nothing on there stands out as inadequate drainage, Sean. So I, I'm not as concerned about that, but... You may make a comment here. You'd like to do a little bit more drainage work there as capital allows, and I think that would make a lot of sense. It sounds like the spacings, based on how how heavy the soil is, it's a 20 to 25 CEC soil. You could, you could use a little narrower spacing. said, uh, we like to raise corn, soybeans, wheat, seed corn, cucumbers, bell peppers. So we get quite a few different crops and we're shooting for 180 to 220 bushel corn, 55 to 65 bushel beans, 90 to 100 bushel wheat. Just wonder if you'd look at the soil test here and give us some ideas of where you would start spending or investing some money. Hey, thanks a lot. That's uh, we got a whole bunch of tests here and just looking through, there's, there's a lot of similarities. I mean, there's obviously as you take grid samples throughout a field or zone samples throughout a field, you're going to see some variance out there. But honestly, the soil pH is fairly consistent. A lot of 7.6 to 7.8s in there. So it's a little bit on the high side. And normally when it's high, we we typically go at, well, how's drainage doing? And, and you say that's fairly adequate. So I'll take your word for that. And looking across on the soil test, I don't see the leachables building up to really high numbers. But the first thing that I noticed looking at the soil test, Sean, is we don't have a complete sample. We don't have sodium on here for one. I'd like to see that. We don't have sulfate sulfur on there. I'd like to see those things. So in the future, when you send those in, it doesn't cost much more to get that, but I'd certainly ask your soils lab, hey, I'd like to see some of those other things because it's on their form. It's just sitting here blank. Uh, They also have salt, soluble salts on there, and, and it's not listed. So we don't know nitrate, nitrogen, or soluble salts. Those would be great things that would help us out. And one of the big things like with the sodium, for example, Sean, is I'd like to see a base saturation that has all five of those major bases on it, uh, potassium, magnesium, calcium, hydrogen, and sodium. If you run tests through Neil Kinsey's lab, and we just had Neil Kinsey in three days this week doing a large seminar with us, he also measures 
total exchange capacity and he looks at other bases so like some of the micronutrients and how they figure into that but the tests we normally run for our farm we're just looking at potassium magnesium calcium hydrogen and sodium so i'd like to see that sodium because here's what's different with your test sean versus the ones that we'll normally have for our farm you have a hydrogen percent somewhere in the five to ten percent range but all your phs are high that just doesn't make sense to me you're going to have that free hydrogen when you have acid soils so when i'm looking at that it kind of throws off the numbers a little bit but I'll do the best I can on your test I'm I'm really just trying to figure out the test because it doesn't compare exactly to the test that we run you've got calcium percentages in the base saturation the 80 to 85 range so I know what you're talking about if you've got a calcium dominant soil what Neil Kinsey would tell you is, well, you've got about 80% calcium and roughly 10% magnesium. That's what I'd shoot for. Let's manage it as an 80-10 soil and start looking at the other nutrients that we're short in. So rather than worrying about what we're high in, like you say, we're too high in calcium. I'll agree with you. It's higher than I'd like to be for the calcium. Let's focus on all the deficiencies and then see how this soil takes care of itself you're already raising good numbers good yield numbers so it's not like it's a disaster out there or anything it's just that there are some things you could do to tweak it and improve it so we would look at base saturation first and on the base saturation test the two things that i would say let's focus on building magnesium in some of these areas we're down to as low as five percent base saturation magnesium magnesium is the center of the chlorophyll molecule so if you've got issues with magnesium one thing that you could try is putting out a little bit of magnesium sulfate foliar feeding uh, throughout the season now you could try it once and do it mid-season just put on five pounds of magnesium sulfate that would be epsom salt which sounds crazy why on earth would you apply that to a field but your crop is going to desperately need magnesium in some of those areas so pick some of those areas that are five percent base saturation and maybe even the areas that are 10 put a little bit of that magnesium sulfate out in a foliar and see if you can green things up and if you can that'll show you that you know what i could do more here i could do a better job catching sunlight, turning it into energy for my plant if I had more magnesium out there. So that'd be something I'd look at. Now, the product I would probably recommend in those areas, since you're short in potassium everywhere, a lot of this is 2 to 3% base saturation case, some is lower. I would put out KMAG. So you've got potassium and magnesium in one shot with one product. That would be a way to go. But there's other products out there as well that, that would have those nutrients. So I would address the magnesium and, and I would address the potassium Across the whole thing, it looks to me like you could use a bunch of potash. So that's probably some of the first money that I would spend on the farm. When I look at phosphorus, we're okay, but we'd like to be better. So you're looking at a sodium bicarb or Olsen test for the phosphorus since you've got high pH, and a lot of that is in the 12 to 30 parts per million range. So we'd like to see that a little better. Some are even single digits. So I'd be investing money in phosphorus. So at least... Do crop removal rates on phosphorus and potassium. If it was me, if I had more budget, I would try and double those rates to try and start building things and then spend some money on magnesium on the farm. When I look at the micros, everybody runs their micro tests a little bit different. I'm not sure what they're using for an extraction process on the micros and their testing. So 
I just look at the numbers. It looks to me like zinc could be a little higher, manganese could be a little bit higher, and copper could be a little bit higher. The iron looks okay, and the boron actually looks okay, which normally is not a good thing on a lot of tests that we look at. So we've got some that are down in the half a part per million. I want to build those, but you get some that are up around eight tenths to one part per million. That's not bad. So my first micronutrient money I would spend would be on zinc and manganese and copper before I would spend money on those others. But if you're using a blended product to feed the crop with this year's needs, that would be fine too. So give you a few things there to start working on. I, I realize you don't have an unlimited budget here, but that's where I would start and what I think might give you the best return on your investment. Hey, thanks, Sean, for the question. Thanks for listening on a regular basis, too. We really do appreciate that. Got a message here from another listener. This is from Patrick. He said, I want to thank you. I went to your soils clinic earlier this winter, and I learned a lot. I'm raising pumpkins, sweet corn, potatoes, veggies, and Indian corn. He sent a picture of some of the Indian corn. That's really impressive. That looks really, really cool, Patrick said, my average net per acre two years ago was 4000 bucks. Last year was $4,600 net per acre. Wow. I think I'm raising the wrong crops. That sounds fantastic, Patrick. said, this year my goal is to get $5,000 of net income per acre. That would be really, really awesome. said, I don't have an ag degree, but I'm learning as I go and really appreciate the info. Thanks, Patrick. We really appreciate hearing back from you. And we love hearing back from our listeners about, hey, is there information make any difference for you? Is it helping you? Are there some other things that you'd like to hear? And certainly raising some different crops than we are and making a lot more per acre than we are. So glad you have those opportunities. And if there's anything we could do with a soil test or any other advice, we would be more than happy to help. We'll be right back in just a little bit here. We've got some more Ag PhD mailbag questions to get to. Of course, you can always send us a question Radio at agphd.com is a great way to find us. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. White mold and sudden death syndrome are two of the most important fungal diseases in soybean production today. But did you know 40 to 50 million acres in the north central region are affected annually? When every season has different disease challenges, the question becomes how can you ensure the best start for your soybeans no matter what? The answer is Heads Up Seed Treatment. Trusted by growers across the Midwest, Heads Up offers a new mode of action to prime your beans to help fight fungal disease. For more information, visit headsupst.com. Every farmer knows that in order to be profitable, you need to maximize the return on your crop input investments. Hi, I'm Scott Harms, an agrist specialist with Grain PhD. Without an effective and flexible strategy, your grain marketing plan gets stuck in the mud. With Grain PhD, you get the clarity and guidance a solid marketing plan needs. Our free GrainBridge software simplifies your cost-profit analysis, and our risk specialists are here to help you develop your plan. Sign up today at GrainPhD.com. 
How much yield did you lose the moment you planted your seed? Introducing the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Designed and built by a farmer tired of seeing yield loss from poor stands, the Germinator gives your crop the strong start it needs for maximum yield. Visit farmshopmfg.com. Avoid the V-shaped pattern of injury caused by chemical buildup in your booms. The Express end cap from Hypro eliminates the dead ends that lead to herbicide buildup and provides easy access to your booms, giving a complete flush between applications. Hypro, helping you spray better. Hey, Bill, any advice to control tough weeds and rootworms? That's easy, Jim. Buy two, save three. Wait, for weeds and rootworms? Buy two, save three. Combine your Impact or new Impact Z herbicide purchase with a qualifying insecticide and save $3 per acre. Buy two, save three. That is good advice. For details, go to buy2save3.com. Impact, Impact Z, and Buy 2 Save 3 are trademarks owned by AMVAC Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic fungicides from Atticus LLC. Fungal diseases can be devastating, but Acadia, Slant, and Talaris 4.5F from Atticus deliver lasting, broad-spectrum fungi control so your soybeans, sugar beets, and dry beans can thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We are absolutely inundated with email questions that came in over the last few days. We've been doing a fertility seminar with Neil Kinsey. Just really, really fortunate to be able to get to spend that time with Neil and had great attendance at our, our clinic as well. Lots of really good questions. And We've got a few of those questions that came up that we may talk about here if we get some time yet on today's show, but I wanted to get to some of the other questions that came into the Ag PhD mailbag. Again, radio at agphd.com is the way to send those questions in. First one comes from Aaron. He said, Neil Kinsey this week had made a comment that excess potassium can tie up other nutrients. When you applied 700 pounds of potash on your farm in a single application, did you notice potassium tying up other nutrients? Or is this just a problem when you get your base saturation above 7.5%, as Neil said that was a top end for base saturation on his soil tests? Hey, Aaron, thank you. Really appreciate the questions there. And yeah, really good observation that you made there. Neil talked about an excess of anything could create a tie-up. We often look at Mulder's chart, and this is something, if you're listening to the show today, look up Mulder's chart online, or if you've been to an Ag PhD work, workshop in the last, I don't know, 10 years, you probably have a copy of Mulder's chart and some of the nutrient interactions where if you have too much of one nutrient, it can impact the other. Like, for example, we talk a lot about a phosphorus and zinc ratio that we're shooting for on our farm because too much zinc can inhibit phosphorus uptake and too much phosphorus can inhibit zinc uptake. So there is a balance there that you want to shoot for. Now with potassium on our farm, and you asked specifically about our farm and what happened for us, we have a lot of base saturation potassiums down in the one and a half to 2% range on a base saturation test. That's just what we would say seems natural in our area. Now in soils that haven't been farmed for a hundred years, base saturation percentages are much higher. So what's happened is over the last hundred years of farming, 
we've drawn down those nutrients. We haven't put back as much into the fields as we've taken out with our crops. So now we are stuck as fourth generation farmers on some of this land that we're farming here. We're stuck being the guys that have to pay the money to put the or potassium, in this case, back out in those fields. So we're trying to build those potassium levels back up. And on most of our soils, we've built them up to 4 to 6% base saturation potassium, and we're trying to build it up to 7% or a little stronger. So we'd like to be at the high end of excellent on all the nutrients so we eliminate them as yield limiting factors on our farm. So with potassium, we've put on actually as much as 1,400 pounds of potash in one single application, which took three passes with our spinner spreader to accomplish. We split a small field and did this just to see what would happen. And we actually had increased levels of some nutrients in our crop in addition to potassium. You'd expect that, well, we'll get some potassium into the crop, and we certainly did. We also had more manganese come into the crop, and these are nutrients that work together. So when you increase potassium, Neil Kinsey would say the same thing. You increase potassium, you generally increase the availability of manganese at the same time. The other thing that we did as a side benefit in our case of putting all that potash out is we actually lowered our soil pH because we were replacing some binding sites where magnesium was out there. And magnesium has a double negative charge. And by putting potassium in there, we, I'm sorry, magnesium has a double positive charge. By putting the potash out there where potassium has a single positive charge, we were actually able to decrease our soil pH, which is strange. I never even thought about it until then. I was just thinking about building up our potassium levels. So did we see a problem with tie-up of other nutrients? No, we really didn't. But I will say you're probably on to something there, Aaron, that maybe if we would have looked a little closer, we might have seen this on a smaller level. When you have a tremendous overload of certain nutrients, what you're going to, whenever you're applying fertilizer, well, that tiny little spot where that pellet dropped or where that drop of liquid fertilizer went, you are greatly changing the balance of fertility there until things can really disperse throughout the soil and the soil microbes can move things around. So we probably did, but we really honestly didn't notice it. Thanks for the question, Aaron. Next one comes from Shane in Ohio. Shane said, I'm looking at the fertilizer removal, the Ag PhD fertilizer removal app and looking at numbers for the crops that I'm raising, I'm wondering if you should figure stover removal or a percentage of that when you're applying replacement nutrients, even if the stover isn't removed from the field. Wow, that's an interesting thought. So when you're growing a crop, some of the nutrients are going to grow to develop that grain, and they're going to leave the field when the grain leaves the field. I think we can all agree on that. But what about the stover? The stover or the plant, the root system, the stalk, everything else, the leaves, they definitely need nutrients in order to grow. And as that on corn, for example, the ear develops, it's not going to rob all the nutrients. We know the corn will pull some of the nutrients out of the leaves and stalk and so forth as it's filling the grain out, but it doesn't remove all of them. So how do we figure when you raised a 200 bushel corn crop, for example, and you say, well, potassium, my corn crop is going to remove 50 pounds of K2O potassium, but it needs to pull 220 pounds of K2O potassium up for the stover. So 
next year I'm going to raise corn again. I know I have to replace the 50 pounds of K2O potassium the grain removed, but should I be replacing a par- portion of that 220 pounds the stover pulled up? You sure can. I guess the big thing for our soils and what we're trying to do is we're trying to build our levels up to a certain point, and that gives us some flexibility there because we know not all the potassium came out of that residue. We don't break down 100% of our residue in a year. In some areas of the country, farmers do. We talked with Randy Dowdy down in Georgia, and he always says, well, I'm double cropping here, and by a little ways into that next crop, I don't see any stover left on top of the ground anyway from the previous crop because I've got heat and moisture and good soil health and all those things. So you can definitely break it down faster in some soils than others, no doubt about that. Uh, You're in northwest Ohio, so you're going to have winter for sure, so it's going to take you a little longer for that residue to break down. I guess I'd just look at where you're at. If you're on the bare minimum side for nutrients in your field, then yes, I'd start applying more and get into a build program, which would accomplish what you're trying to do. But for our soils on our farm, where we're up to a medium to high level of fertility on almost all nutrients, I wouldn't be figuring in stover that I'm not removing from the field and trying to replace nutrients for that. Thanks for the question, Shane. Really appreciate that. Next question is from Jordan. Jordan says, what are your thoughts on applying sugar and does it benefit the crop and soil biology? I'm glad you put both the crop and soil biology in there because certainly the, the soil biology is looking for a carbon source, whether that's breaking down stover, like our previous question, or consuming sugar. Plants naturally excrete sugars out into the soil to feed microbiology that they want to colonize around the roots. So Could you put sugar in furrow or in your foliar apps and feed biology? Absolutely. There's lots and lots of farmers around the world that are doing that. One of the challenges that doesn't get talked about a lot is that when you're putting those sugars out there, you're also feeding the biology that you don't want to have around. So you could be feeding some negative biology that's in your soil. Most of the biology out there, or many of those species, are great, and you want to have more of them there. So what I would say is if you're putting a microbial product out there, you may want to put some sugar with it to try to help that population of microbes that you're desiring to have in your field, help them reproduce faster. That might be a good thing. Putting it in the soil, when you aren't putting microbes out there, while well, you're feeding all the microbes in the soil. So you're taking your chances doing that. So yes, you definitely could. I wouldn't spend a huge amount of money on it. And I would definitely look at doing some studies. We've done a lot of studies that haven't shown any benefit at the time with that particular application. But occasionally we do some studies that do show some benefit. I know there's a lot of farmers out there that believe in putting sugars with many of the applications they're making. So I I don't care one way or the other. Are we doing it with every application that we're making? No. So if that's your question, then the answer is no. But is it something that we think could have some potential for your farm? Sure. Give it a try. It doesn't cost a lot of money and see what kind of gain you get. Thanks for the question, Jordan. We really appreciate that. Thanks to everyone who sent in questions today. We get a lot of questions. We'll try to get to some more of them early on in the week next week. If you have a question for us again, you can send it to us, radio at agphd.com. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to tune in each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.